Case number 23-1690 from the Northern District of Iowa, United States v. Michael Colson. Mr. Hanson? May it please the court. When he was in the court-martial of the offense of forcible pandering in violation of Article 120C, subsection B of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, or UCMJ. As a consequence of that conviction, Mr. Colson was required to register as a sex offender under the Sex Offender Registration Notification Act, or SORNA. SORNA is a tier-based system. All sex offenders are assigned to a tier depending on the severity of their prior conviction. All sex offenders are either tier 1, tier 2, or tier 3 offenders. Specifically, SORNA requires us to look at the offender's sex offense, decide whether it is comparable to or more severe than any of the offenses labeled as tier 2 or tier 3 offenses under SORNA. If the offense is not comparable to or more severe than a tier 2 or tier 3 offense, it's a tier 1 offense. Now, Mr. Colson, after he was convicted at court-martial, he traveled across state lines and into the state of Iowa, where he failed to register as a sex offender. He was charged, pled guilty to violating federal law for doing that, and his appeal raises a single sentencing issue. Now, an offender's tier under SORNA dictates their base offense level under the United States Sentencing Guidelines. And, of course, tier 2 and tier 3 offenders have a higher base offense level than a tier 1 offender. In this case, the district court, over Mr. Colson's objection, ruled that his conviction for forcible pandering under the UCMJ was comparable to, or more severe than, the Title 18 offense of sexual abuse under Section 2242. A Section 2242 offense is a Tier 3 offense, and therefore the district court sentenced Mr. Colson as a Tier 3 offender. In making this decision, the district court humbly conceded that it may very well be wrong because of the complicated structure of SORNA and the complicated issues in play. Unfortunately for Mr. Colson, the district court was incorrect. He is a Tier 1 offender, and he is entitled to resentencing. Now, in order to do the comparison that SORNA requires, this court must first decide how and which interpretive approach to use in conducting that comparison. The district court applied the categorical approach, comparing only the elements of the forcible pandering offense to the elements of the sexual abuse offense. Although this court has never issued a published decision applying the categorical approach in this context, every circuit court, at least since Mathis that has, has held that the categorical approach applies to this sort of comparison. In this case, Mr. Colson is asking the court to apply the categorical approach, and the government is not arguing that it does not apply. So unless the court has many questions about that. Oh, I have a serious question about it. All right. I'm ready. Would you agree this is a question of statutory interpretation? Yes. Of the Uniform Code of Military Justice as well as 2242? It's a question of statutory interpretation of SORNA to decide whether it makes sense to apply the categorical approach. It's also a question of statutory interpretation of the UCMJ provision and Section 2242. Now, as to the SORNA statute, tell me how the categorical approach does anything except render the word comparable superfluous. 
Well, any time we're applying the categorical approach, we're doing a comparison. You, you know where I'm starting. I'm starting with, you know, the principles of statutory construction. Yes. And, the, and one of the basic ones is a proper statutory construction does not leave any terms of the statute superfluous. And no one, as far as I can see, has ever pondered what purpose there is to the word comparable if this categorical approach applies. I believe, Judge Loken, the word comparable just tells us that the categorical approach applies. Say what? The word comparable just tells us that we apply the categorical approach because it's preceded no, by the word offense. Wait, wait compa comparable could be factual. Categorical approach does not allow any inquiry into facts. Comparable could be legal that is, comparing the elements of the offense. But that's, that's not what's going on here. I would submit, and you tell me why I'm wrong, I don't think there's any contrary interpretation, that when the, when the SORNA says a sex offender whose offense is comparable to 2242, that is an instruction to compare the facts of the offense of conviction under SORNA, the prior conviction, with the elements of 2242, which to me is a classic Nijuan situation. Well, if it's a Nijuan situation, then the categorical approach applies because Nijuan says that when a statute Not reference, that issue. references, correct, it's, uh, it's interpreting the INA, but uh, Nijuan specifically says when a statute says compare an offense to a specific code provision in the U.S. Code, that's a, that's a categorical approach. And I don't think it renders the term comparable superfluous because you said, Judge Loken, you look at the elements of the offense listed in SORNA. Well, SORNA says compare it to an offense described in this example in Title 18, United States Code, Section 2242. So I think in order to be consistent in interpreting SORNA as a whole, offense has to mean the same thing when you're looking at the predicate offense and comparing it to an offense, in this case, under Title 18, United States Code, Section 2242. But there, there, as long as, if you meet the categorical approach, which is there can't be any, if there's any overlap that doesn't fit, what's left of compromise? Well, I think this gets to... In other words, here, here he did a specific violent act for which he was convicted under a statute that, that also punishes other acts. And was that, was that offense, was that act, was that offense of conviction comparable to a violation of 2242? And it seems to me that is what should be the relevant question and it requires a circumstance-specific analysis. I don't believe it requires a circumstance-specific analysis because in this respect, the SORNA statute isn't that much different than the Armed Career Criminal Act. And when we're looking to, for example, decide whether a predicate conviction is a serious drug offense for purposes of being a predicate for the ACCA, we look to elements. The Supreme Court told us that in Taylor back in 1990, and that's, that's black-letter law at this point. So in order categorical looks only at elements. Correct. And I don't think that's what this statute says should be done. I don't think that's what Congress intended. 
I believe it is. Uh, well, it is as to the federal com comparator. But, but when it, the, the lead-in is your offensive conviction, is, is it comparable to the elements of the federal offense? I think it's at least ambiguous as to whether offense in that context is circumstance-specific or categorical, i.e. elements versus facts. If Congress intended for an inquiry into the specific circumstances of the offender's prior conviction, it likely would have used the word conduct. No, no if, if Congress had intended, your argument, in my view, is, is means a sex offender whose offense, who, the elements of whose offense is punishable. It would have referred to the elements in the lead-in as well as elsewhere. I think we agree that Congress could have been more clear in showing us whether this is supposed to be circumstance-specific or categorical, but this looks like a categorical situation so because it doesn't look much different than the ACCA. Is this an issue of law, discretion, or fact that we're debating? This is an issue of law, statutory interpretation, so it's de novo review. And what, what of the five or six circuits who have gone your way, so to speak, on this, has any of them discussed this question specifically? Well, I think this goes to an argument that the government makes, and that is whether comparable or comparable gives the court some leeway in applying the categorical approach, meaning... Yeah, I, I think the government is abandoning the categorical approach while professing to accept it with that argument. That may be. Uh, but again, it goes to whether there has to be absolute overlap between the predicate offense statute and the SORNA offense statute listed under Tier 2 or Tier 3. I think the problem for the government with that argument is these are not comparable. And that is because the thrust of the argument is the forcible pandering offense encompasses both the sexual act and sexual contact, two different concepts under both the UCMJ and Chapter 109A of Title 18. The sexual abuse offense under Section 2242 that the district court found comparable only encompasses a sexual act. So in that respect, they are not comparable because those are two different things. Sexual act and sexual contact are defined in different ways under the UCMJ, under Article 120, and they're defined in different ways under Chapter 109A of Title 18. That's the problem for the government. That's a big difference, I guess, is the layman's way to say that. And the fact of the matter is what this forcible pandering offense is most comparable to is a different Chapter 109A offense, and that is abusive sexual contact under Section 2244. That is a sexual contact offense, so obviously it encompasses sexual contact, and it's a lesser offense under Chapter 109A than sexual abuse under Section 2242. The problem for the government is that when we get to 2244 and we look at SORNA, the 2244 offense does appear in SORNA as a Tier 2 or a Tier 3 offense, but there's the additional qualification that the offense must have been committed against a minor. In the case of a Tier 3 offense, it must be against a minor younger than 13 I think, years old. I think you're right on the Tier 2 argument. Right. But on the, if, if on, the t <clears throat> on the Tier 3 argument, if it is, in fact, at least with respect to the SORNA predicate offense, circumstance-specific, what happens? Who, who decides that? Who decides the circumstances, Your Honor? 
Yeah, who, who decides if they're comparable under that test? I think that's where we get into the problems with applying the circumstance-specific approach. Right. Because we don't know what the... Oh, heaven forbid, I mean, let's, let's, let's parade the apprendi horrible. We might have to have a jury trial on something we all know the answer, think we know the answer to. That's, that's what everybody's trying to avoid here and has been for 20 years. Right, and this is a prime... I think it's a serious question whether that becomes a jury question then, in which case... The government has to try, the parties have to try the facts of the prior conviction. That is one of the problems of the circumstances. Which I say, approach. so what? I mean, you know, juries, juries get questions like that all the time. And here, we don't know what the members in the court-martial found as to Mr. Colson. We have the appellate court opinion uh, reciting the facts in the light most favorable to the verdict against him. But according to footnote three of that opinion, it's exhibit two, it's sentencing, the members at the court-martial were instructed that sexual contact was sufficient for conviction. So even though Mr. Colson was convicted, and even though there's an appellate court opinion affirming that conviction, we don't know what was actually found by the members who decided his fate no, so court-martial. try it again. And that, that is something, if, as if, you said, if, everyone's if, trying to if avoid. The, if the government wants to go for Tier 3, they may have to try it again, if it's, if it's, as, as, <coughs> if it's as murky as this one. Right. As it is, the lion's share of the authority here says that the categorical approach applies to this sort of comparison. We'd ask the court to follow that approach. If there are no further questions at this time, I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time for a vote. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Timmons? Please, the court. Mr. Hansen. Ron Timmons on behalf of the United States. Um, the government's position is that the defendant was properly classified as a tier three offender. That is because the district court did not err in finding that the defendant's prior conviction for forcible pandering under the UCMJ was comparable to sex abuse under the federal statute. start with addressing um, the issue that I raised in my brief with Mr. Hansen argued that the, the door on Forrester was closed by Mathis and I would respectfully disagree with that conclusion. I think that the um, operative case here the, the is... The door on what was closed? Discamped. I'm sorry, sir? I, I didn't hear what you said. The door... The door on the logic of Forrester. Pardon? The door on the logic of Forrester was yeah. closed. By Mathis is uh, what my colleague here uh, argued in his reply brief. I would respectfully disagree with that conclusion. I think Descamps is the case that requires state offenses to be the same or narrower than the federal offenses. Was out and uh, knowable to the court that uh, wrote Forrester. But Forrester is an unpublished Tenth Circuit opinion, right? That's correct, Your Honor. Unpublished, but informed by Discamps. Uh, in addition to Forrester, they've got Coleman and the Morales opinions as well, also informed by Discamps. And they stand for what proposition? What, what's the argument you're making? 
that the use of the, the phrase comparable in SORNA allows for some latitude and does not require an exact match in the standard categorical approach that is applied. So you're, but you are, at the district court level, you advocated for the categorical approach, and as I understand from your brief, you're not backing off of that, but you're saying it's a modified categorical approach. Is that what I'm hearing you say? <clears throat> My recollection is that I did not advocate for the categorical approach to be applied at sentencing. I've done quite a few of these cases, so I could be misremembering that, but at sentencing, I believe I argued against applying the categorical approach and did say that even if the categorical approach is applied, the elements as compared, if we're just strictly, that's why I submitted government's exhibits one and two, the appeals court uh, opinion at sentencing, was to get into the specifics of what Mr. Colson had done and get away from a categorical approach that merely compared the elements of each offense. Even if you compare each of the elements, compare the elements of each offense, I think the offenses are still comparable. Is this a new standard? And we've got categorical approach. We have as what Judge Malloy referred to the modified categorical approach, which is looking at other documents to see what category it is in. What is this? What does mean yours is a categorical approach with wiggle room? I, I, I'm not sure I understand the, the parameters of what it is if it's not looking to actually what Mr. Colson did as a factual matter in the underlying offense. Your Honor, I, I would admit that it is confusing. I, it is a bit of a head-scratcher for many people involved. I would submit to you that the categorical approach under this comparable standard, it's looking for a, um, a comparable match rather than a categorical match. The categorical approach originally came out was determining, excuse me, interpreting whether or not something is burglary in the context of the ACCA. Here, in the context of SORNA, we've got comparable, whether or not the statutes at issue are comparable. It appears to me that under the categorical approach, We're cut off from looking at the specific circumstances of the defendant's predicate offense, but can't compare. Are you conceding you're looking only at the elements of both offenses? Um, I don't believe I'm conceding anything, Your Honor. My understanding is that. Well, if you, if, if, unless you're conceding that you look at only the elements, you're not applying the categorical approach. Right? Almost by definition is, to the extent we can understand the Supreme Court's definition of the category of that moving target. Um. And, and if you're comparing the elements, where do, you, where do you get this slightly and so forth? Where do you get what, sir? Well, your, your standard of, of how, how do you... You're slightly. What, what's, what's the phrase you use? 
slightly broader. Slightly broader? That the federal statute is slightly broader than the Uniform Code of Military Justice statute under which he was convicted is slightly broader than the or, federal statute. Or can statute. be slightly broader. That's it. Is, is that looking at elements or facts? And if it's looking at elements... I believe we're just looking at elements here. What categorical approach case has ever allowed that? At least on the high side, so to speak. <laughs> <clears throat> um, None. I, I am... I mean, that, that was the point of this Escalante case. They're, they're footnote nine that I disagree with, but that's what it... But it clearly takes that position. What we're stuck with here, Your Honors, is comparing these statutes. Forcible pandering on the one hand. Whether or not they're comparable. To my mind, the defendant's arguing that it's not an exact match. There's automatically overbreadth, and therefore, it is not a qualifying offense for the reasons that have already been discussed and it doesn't qualify as a Tier 3 offense, it would be a Tier 1 offense. The comparable standard, however, does not require an exact match. What does it require? Say again? What does, it, what does your, your standard require, the comparable standard? What, what, how, how would we write this? What, what would be, how would we apply this going forward? How would the district courts apply your comparable standard? I would urge the court to look to the language in Forrester, Coleman, and Morales and find some room on the spectrum. So on the one hand, we have um, the language of Mathis and Descamps, which requires an exact match in the ACCA context. On the other hand, there's um, a looser context in, for example, relating to in uh, under 2252 I believe it's 2252A and 2252, uh, Title 18, child exploitation offenses that require predicate offenses to be relating to child pornography, for example, um, or child molestation. That's a spectrum on the, with polar opposites, if you will. This comparable standard, I believe, occupies a middle ground in there somewhere. And because of that middle ground, when you look at the statutes at issue in this case, they should be deemed comparable. Well, how do we deal with the fact that there is sexual contact can be basis of a conviction under the Uniform Code of Military Justice? That's a separate federal offense from 2242, which is the comparable statute. How do we... How, do you, how when you have a whole separate statute, how do you deal with that? Um, <clears throat> I think that's where the wiggle room comes into play in the context of the UCMJ statute. You have to, there's a relatively small universe of cases that will require both, or not both, require compulsion, an act of prostitution, and a sex act, but not just any sex act, because there's a decent amount of overlap between the two statutes here. But a sex act um, 
done through clothing, uh, a list of anatomical parts, um, and then it would it would have to involve it would have to not involve the slightest penetration of genitalia or the anus, and subsequently or be involved with the groin, breast, or um, inner thigh of the box. It's a long list of anatomy, I know, but that, I think, is a narrow sliver of sexual contact that would, um, that is criminalized under the UCMJ definition of forcible Which isn't criminal, and so you're, do I understand you say you, under, you agree that that's not criminalized under 2242? I agree. I, I guess I'm not understanding. I'm not following your argument. Are you saying that there is a narrow sliver of sexual contact under the Uniform Code of Military Justice that is criminalized that is not a an offense under the comparable federal statute? I'm saying it's not criminalized under 22. That's what I just sexual asked. Sexual abuse. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. So, so there is a slice of conduct that is criminalized under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, comparable provision, that is not criminalized under 2242, but is criminalized under a separate federal statute, correct? Uh, 2244, I believe you're yes. referring to. I have not thought through all the implications or have all that at the ready. I know some of that. Quite conceivably, would be. What, what I'm, I think it's more narrow than that. Let me put it a different way. All the contact that's criminal under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, as I understand, is criminal under a federal statute. Some of which is criminal under 2242, and some of which is criminal under, I believe, 2244. So, how do we deal with the fact that some of the conduct is criminal under whole federal, different federal statutes? I'm not sure that all of it would be because some of the sexual offenses under the federal statute are limited by age, which have their own separate analysis to be done. Well, that, every violation of the UCMJ is a federal offense, right? Um, correct. I guess I, I misspoke. I meant under Title 18 specifically, not uh, Title 10, which the UCMJ, I believe, is codified under. Let me ask you this hypothetical question. Would, would you urge uh, the United States to see in-bank review if the panel adopted my view that you're, you're right, that comparable has a role to play, and therefore you have to prove factual comparability to ever seek Tier 3 uh, punishment? What was the last part, sir? Well, if we adopt, you know, the, the view the, 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 where I ended with Ms. Mr. Hansen, that where he, he agreed, well, it's kind of hard to know where you go if the category is circumstance-specific applied. And I said, well, maybe it just goes to a jury trial. And the facts, of the, the facts of the UCMJ conviction have to be presented to the jury, and the jury is asked, is that comparable to the elements of a 2242 offense? If we held if we held that, would you have, would you urge the government to seek in, in bank review of that 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 decision because it's an it's an impossible sta standard that the Justice Department doesn't want to have to prove. Um, 
It is hypothetical, and I'm not. I'm not a, <laughs> would you agree that that's a 50-50 question? I do agree that it is whether, a difficult whether question. The could, whether the government would think my answer is worse than than uh, Mr. Hansen's. <laughs> I would agree, Your Honor. Uh, if there are no further questions, thank you. Thank you, Counsel. The case has been well briefed and well argued. Uh, interesting question. We'll take it under advisement. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> thank you, Honors. I don't know where that would leave district courts in applying the categorical approach, the circumstance-specific approach, and whatever approach the government's arguing. Whatever comparable to means in Smart, it can't mean close enough you know, to do your best district courts. That would put us probably in a worse place than the circumstance-specific approach because district courts won't know what that exactly means. I think the weakness of the government's argument is shown by the fact that it's relying on this Forrester case, which, as Judge Malloy pointed out, it's unpublished, it's from the Tenth Circuit, it predates the White decision from the Tenth Circuit, which is its published decision applying the categorical approach and then the hybrid approach when it comes to the age of the victim. And as I said in the reply brief, there's a district court case in the Tenth Circuit, the livestock case, saying Forrester's not good law at this point. But even if this court were to find Forrester convincing in some way in deciphering what comparable to means, it's a totally different question than the question presented in this case. In this case, the Forrester panel said, well, the state statute at issue covers children of the age of 13, and the federal comparator is 12, and that's a one-year difference. Maybe that's comparable to. That's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the distinction, the very clear distinction under the UCMJ and Title 18 between a sexual act and sexual contact. Again, because the forcible pandering offense encompasses sexual contact, which includes touching over the clothing, it's simply not comparable to Section 2242. The district court erred, and Mr. Colson is a Tier 1 offender. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. The case has been very well briefed and argued. Uh, arguments have been helpful. The issue is, is uh, interesting and difficult and recurring. We'll take it under advisement.